Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Travis Bean. This is the Film Colossus Podcast. Your guide to movies. Look how nice and smooth that was. Yeah, it was like we did it on the first try, too. That was great. Yeah, not take six. Not take six. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode, we are talking Knock at the Cabin, a lengthy discussion of Knock at the Cabin, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. I am, too. I'm mostly excited because, like, I don't know how you feel about this movie. I did not read what you wrote about it. Like, I purposely didn't look at your Twitter or anything. Because I wanted to come into this just like, I don't want to, you know, I didn't want my views to be shaped by you at all. But I also like, I I want a a genuine reaction from me if I find out whether or not you like it. Because I loved this movie to death. (laughs) I really, really loved this movie. So if you end up not liking it, like you can not like it a little bit, like that's fine. But if you (laughs) ended up hating it, like this is going to be... This is good. We're going to shake the house down. <laughs> uh, you mean, I was trying to think of like a big bad wolf reference and like <laughs> three little pigs and blowing the house down, but Oof, yeah. like blowing the cabin down. Uh, um, no, I I enjoyed it. I okay. think it was held back from doing things that I would like that would level it up some imagine, levels, yeah. but it, I I thought it was like a, a, a enjoyable movie. I definitely think that's going to be a big part of our discussion, like how it could have leveled up, because I do. I feel like that view, most people have that view that you have, that it's very contained and it's kind of simple. And a lot, I've heard a lot of people say it's kind of boring because it doesn't really color outside the lines too much. Like it's just a very effective thriller and kind of sticks to one thing the whole time. Uh, so I could definitely see that being a problem, especially to someone like you who like, I think you're always kind of looking more from movies, you know, looking for more and expecting them to kind of branch out a little bit. Uh, but I will be here to argue that what it did was absolutely perfect. And that <laughs> if it did any more than that, it would have possibly ruined it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a core beauty to this movie that's undeniable. Yeah. Um, well, so, before we dive into the film itself, mm-hmm. uh, stepping back, are you an M. Night fan in general? How many of his <laughs> movies have you seen? Uh, I have seen them all besides Avatar, The Last Airbender. 
probably <laughs> probably for the best. I, I'm going to watch it for the record. I, I plan on watching it. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's right up your alley. Like, you're the oh, yeah. champion of shitty films. So Yeah, absolutely. Like, that should be, like, the last stone in your M. Night Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm a huge M. Night fan. Um, I think for a while, I kind of, I jumped on board the M. Night Shyamalan hate train that was chugging along for a while there. Um, like, I just, you know, early on when you're watching movies or just when you're forming your own personality in general, you kind of just like latch on to what the general group think is about something. And I just accepted that M. Night Shyamalan was terrible, that all those movies were dumb. It all had some stupid twist in it. And the acting was, you know, there's just all this overacting and, and it's not a movie to be taken seriously. Like I jumped on board with that for a while. Um, but I think obviously like seeing split and glass, like most people were in agreement that those were good movies. And I watched it. And I was like, man, these movies are like really well done. Like, is this what an M night Shyamalan movie is, is like, like, do I not remember them? very well so i've been going back and rewatching all the movies and i've really enjoyed them i thought the sixth sense was awesome i think signs is incredible we didn't have a chance to talk about it last week but like man that movie kind of blew me away i watched it a couple weeks ago um so in general like as i've revisited m night it's just been he just has such a unique aesthetic like he's yeah. one of the few thriller filmmakers that kind of adheres to the Hitchcock formula and kind of has like an old timey B movie attitude about his movies. It's not that his movies like are dumb. It's just that he doesn't shy away from being a little dumb. Like it becomes part of the flavor and the personality of the movie. Um, but I think people think because he chooses to do some goofier things, it takes away from the depth of his films where I would argue that it actually adds to it. Like, because his aesthetic is so lively and so realized that, like, the characters are a little more fully formed and he kind of creates his own little world that's separate from things you usually see in thrillers. So I've really come around and, like, I just dig the way he approaches and conceptualizes movies. It's an interesting conversation to me because what you're saying about the way people have reacted to M night movies. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much that has to do with how bad people tend to be with accepting range once a tone has been established. Sure. So six sense is really the first movie that people I think knew M night for, mm -hmm. and you go six sense into unbreakable and both I would say are dynamic, but traditional in a way uh, I don't think they're very goofy like in the sense of like the visit or old or um, even some aspects of the village maybe it's like there was a a seriousness to those films that I think stuck with people so when there were some sillier elements introduced or right. like quote-unquote dumb I wonder how much people were allowing for that rather than just wanting it to be a bit more serious, a bit more traditional, because that's what they had already experienced. I 
I agree with you. Like something like the happening is a little bit of an outlier because like it's so ridiculous. <laughs> like I'm not even sure I'll like the happening if I revisit it. Uh, I'm excited to, but I don't know if I'll, I'll like it. <laughs> um, but I, I watched Signs. Signs is his third movie. That movie's pretty goofy. Like you remember like all the water, the little girl's water. Oh yeah, I hated <laughs> I hated Signs. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yeah, it was too like, goofy. That movie for me. has plenty of crazy shit in it. Yeah. I I remember being in theaters, which uh did you ever see Praying with Anger Wide Awake? Uh no. I guess these are like films that he did before Sixth Sense. Oh, okay. But I never hear anybody talk about them. Interesting. No, I've never even heard of them. Yeah, Wide Awake is a comedy drama. That's strange. And it has Rosie O'Donnell and Dennis Leary. They're not like short films? No. 1998 American comedy oh, okay. drama. Dennis Leary and Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. That's... I also think there's goofier stuff in The Sixth Sense. Again, it's like there's not necessarily like dumb stuff like in The Happening where like plants are attacking people. <laughs> right, right. Like it's not on that level, but like just the general tone and the aesthetic and the way it moves and ultimately the twist like i could see people looking at that being like that's so stupid <laughs> there were elements i remember people being like kind of upset with things or there being the counter debate right with how popular the sixth sense was mm -hmm. i remember there were people that were hating on it but like unbreakable was the first m night movie i watched and I remember just being so impressed even at an early age with the camera movement mm -hmm. and just how he was choosing to frame shots and all the kind of like auteur aspects that he brought to the table. Yeah. I, I feel like I've always been a little disappointed in M night because unbreakable seemed to me like such a masterclass and I've never quite felt he got back into that groove, though it did feel like at times Knock at the Cabin was kind of approaching some of that creativity and some of that um, mm -hmm. dy dynamics that I liked so much about Unbreakable. But I was in high school when Signs and the Village came out and was really frustrated with both. Have you seen them since? I've not. I've rewatched Signs or like part of Signs like 15 years ago. Um, but I, old. yeah, I haven't seen The Village since. Yeah, I'm excited to watch The Village again. I haven't seen that since and I remember hating it as well. So, <laughs> um, and, and then I never watched Lady in the Water happening, Last Airbender, or After Earth. <laughs> so I missed that run of movies. Uh -huh. But. Uh, I'm a big fan of splits, not a big fan of glass. I thought glass was like a huge fumble. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really like the visit. Like I, the visit is one of those movies that I just recommend to people. Like <laughs> don't look anything up, just go into it, uh, and enjoy. Yeah. Which I think I did to you. I, I have not seen the visit. Wait, you haven't? I told no, you years ago. I was like, that was the one the I visit. haven't seen. <sighs> Fucking hell. I'm going to trust okay. me. Okay. Don't look anything. <laughs> I'm on up. a journey. Don't look anything up and just watch it. 
Oh yeah, I'm excited. I I totally get what you're saying about Unbreakable though. Like I don't remember that being my favorite M Night movie, but I totally know what you mean by the camera work and the kind of creativity going on there. Um, that is that's a cool thing he does. Where again, it, I could just see the Hitchcock influence all over him right. and how he's taking these. Like a lot of his shots, like I'm thinking of like signs in the sixth sense, they're very, um, he has a lot of like kind of, uh, what's the right word? Not like grandiose, but like stoic shots, like carefully framed shots of like perf- people perfectly placed throughout the room, like perfect symmetry, that kind of stuff. Um, but Unbreakable and in particular Knock at the Cabin, like he does get a little more flamboyant and I could see that Hitchcock side of him coming out there where like he's a little more playful with the camera which is something like i love about hitchcock where he's just like trying like crazy stuff um inventing these new techniques and like making you move with the camera kind of and it's a cool it's always a cool insight into the situation and the people involved and like your observation of what's going on so yeah i I think when he does stuff like he does in this movie i don't necessarily think it makes his movies better per se but in the case of this movie i agree I'm totally with you that it did that he I don't know he just I felt so included in this movie in a way I rarely feel about movies like I I mean let right off the bat I'm very invested with the story as like a new father and everything like I totally connected with these guys and the just how scary it is like the idea of like losing your kid or losing your loved one and, and having to raise your kid on your own like that was very palpable to me. And like, I was very drawn in by that, but the camera movement too, and the acting and like the way he was navigating everything, like, man, I was just in it. <laughs> like, this was like the best time I had at a theater in a while. Yeah. There was something very, I don't know. It just like immerses you in a way Absolutely. that movies with standard shots, like how we talked about with uh infinity pool in the ranking episode, there was a, Autorness uh, to that, but it didn't really bring me into the the movie. It felt more mm-hmm. like affectation. We're not at the cabin. There was something very, especially in that opening conversation between Leonard uh, and when it was really cool. Um, what did you like old or did you not like old? I really enjoyed old. I didn't think. <sighs> It didn't go quite as far as I wanted it to um, for like, I think the grand point it was trying to make about, I was just about growing old in general and how we're observing each other and how we react to like losing people in our lives and just the slow, steady progression of time and how difficult that can be to deal with. And then for him to defamiliarize that by making people like deal with it in real time, you know? Um, or just like uh, in real time, like in our time, <laughs> like deal it coming at them so fast, like all that. Like I didn't think the movie quite got there and had the punch it needed, but I still really enjoyed it just for what it was. Like, yeah, like that's a great thing about M Night is even if he doesn't quite hit the point he's trying to hit, like God, they're just so well done and enjoyable and well acted that I can't help but love it. And that was the thing that I couldn't get over that hurdle of like what the movie could have been. Mm-hmm. It felt almost to me like the exercise took over rather right. than like telling the story that should be told with it. It was almost like 
it needed more drafts before reaching what would have been its like best form. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M mcom Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Like, as much as I enjoyed that movie, I can't say I was super invested in the characters. Like, I felt for them. Like, I wanted them to succeed and, like, get out of this crazy situation. But, like, I was not invested like I was in the cabin in the woods. <laughs> or, uh, ca- not cabin in the woods, knock at the cabin. Um <laughs> Definitely was not invested in the characters of Cabin in the Woods. Um, back at the cabin, I just like, even the, you know, the four horsemen, like I was so invested in all of them. Like I was so intrigued by them yeah. and what their story was and the situation they were stuck in. Like, man, I, I was just so drawn. Well, let's get into the movie then. Yeah. What? Oh, How early did you, uh, or not early, <laughs> did you pick up the four horsemen thing? I didn't I didn't get it at all until they said it. <laughs> okay. I I had it like I think this was one of the things that maybe like affected me just a bit and mm-hmm. I got the four horsemen thing maybe like 15 minutes into the movie. Mhm. And I bought into what they were saying from the very beginning. So it removed a lot of the thriller tension for me Um, and the reveal. So I'm always like looking like M Knight's made a brand of the reveal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the reveal and the, the visit. I really enjoyed the reveal and splits and then was kind of frustrated with where he went with glass and where he went with old. Um, The reveals felt kind of lackluster to me. So Knock at the Cabin, I thought, was such a higher quality film overall than Glass and Old, but also left me with a bit of like, oh, I didn't get the twist I was looking for because I kind of just understood the movie from the beginning or bought in from the beginning. 
So I was kind of disappointed in that way in terms of just like the M. Night brand. When you say you figured out the twist in the beginning, you just mean like the literal twist, in quotes, which is that they these four people represent the four horsemen. Yeah, that like what they're saying is real. Like there's no right. there's no tension in like are they maybe lying? Like the the faint that it gives us of Rory O'Bannon, uh, like Redmond's actually Rory, and this was a like I never once thought that like oh maybe like this is something that Rory concocted. It was just like yeah, no, they're telling the truth, and it's just gonna take another hour for the characters to kind of catch up and make their decision. Yeah, that's interesting because for you, you're just purely thinking about the tension as a viewer and like the plot because yeah. you're thinking like, oh, I know what's going to happen in the plot. But there's a different way to think about tension as if you're just in it with the characters. Like mm-hmm. Andrew and Eric have every reason to believe these people are making it up. Yeah. Like you can just be in their reality and like kind of just understand the tension at hand. Which I did appreciate especially like the contrast between uh andrew's way of talking with them and eric's way of talking with them Mm -hmm. and just like jonathan groff is such a sweet man like (laughs) (laughs) is he and are you a fan of him before this yeah like i i mean i'm a big it's not the same kind of character at all but i'm a big mindhunter fan and thought he did such a great job in mindhunter uh and then also you know him in um frozen i thought he was good and then (laughs) he was my favorite part of uh hamilton as well oh okay you're naming a bunch of stuff i've never seen besides frozen yeah hamilton i wasn't as big into as everybody else but jonathan groff playing plays the king of england Mm -hmm. and just has these amazing moments throughout I, know. I just think he's oh. I just think he's wonderful he's agent Smith oh yeah and the matrix Res- resurrections yeah right that was he unfortunate did... yeah he was still my favorite part of that movie too <laughs> so um. yeah uh him as Eric I thought was really like I don't know I just enjoyed a lot and was like sympathizing with the emotions they were putting out there and the back and forth and seeing the Mm -hmm. way that Andrew was like, you could tell like very early on worried that Eric was going to buy into it and trying to protect Eric while protecting his family and like everything that he was going through. uh, I felt that come through. Yeah. That's funny because I mean, I didn't figure out the twist uh, in the sense that like, I didn't realize it, it was the Force Horseman, but the whole time I was like, there's no way this isn't real. Like, I never once doubted that the world was going to end if they didn't make a decision. So it really didn't affect me. To me, it's... I feel like that's the quarter M. Night's backed himself into, like, with always having this sort of twist, is, like, people expect it, and if it isn't satisfying, then his movie's dissatisfying. And maybe that's on him a little bit for, for approaching movies in that way. But I just... God, I, it just, his movies, or I guess any movie really, doesn't really affect me in that way. I guess it's different with M. Night because you can't expect that from his movies. So, like, you go in with that mentality each time. Maybe that's more what I'm thinking of is when I go into his movies, I know there's going to be a twist. 
and I'm not necessarily looking to be ahead of it or be satisfied by it. I'm just more, I'm more want it to become part of what the movie is and increase the understanding of the movie and contribute to the ideology of the movie and all that. And I think this movie did that with flying colors. Like to me, the fact that the apocalypse is happening, that these are the four horsemen that you do have to make a decision. Like it gave it this weight that it really needed at the end. Yeah, there was a, I did feel all of that coming through, which was very like affecting like I was crying a lot by the end. Oh my god, I cried so many times. <laughs> uh and then my wife doesn't cry at all in movies. She's just like kind of looking at me and being like, "Ha." <laughs> <laughs> um I thought Rupert Grintz really showed up and showed out. What does that phrase mean? <laughs> that he just like did an amazing job. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he. Uh, it, it's strange to hear him not using a British accent, <laughs> right? Where you're kind of like, is he? No, he's not. But is there a little bit? Like, I couldn't tell if I was detecting some of the. Here's my bold proposition: just let him be Ron in quotes in every movie he's in. Like, he gets to be British, even if he's a Southern dude who is homophobic. Like, let him be a British guy at the same time. <laughs> like, we'll just we'll believe it. Just let that come through. I mean, is yeah, there... I think he was great. Yeah, he... Uh, Everybody was great shit. I know. The cast did such an amazing job, especially, like, uh, Kristen Kui as when Like, mm. she was yeah. so engaging. It was a, kind of a shame that she didn't get to have as much dialogue. Yeah, I agree. After the opening scene, because, like, in that opening scene, it was just... Like, between her and Batista, I was hanging on oh kind of God. every word that they were saying. Dave Batista. I mean, this might be the best performance I've seen in an M. Night movie, period. Like, I was really blown away by him. Just, like, he's trying to stay calm the whole time. And also, like, trying to stay stay calm for the group and, like, make them realize what's going on. And, like, trying to control all the four horsemen, like, and being childlike with this child it just everything he was doing was so calculated and um representative of this kind of character in a situation he's stuck in i was just really blown away by the the versatility of his performance yeah especially because i just watched him in glass onion (laughs) and he's such a bombastic like outrageous dude in glass onion that's really leaning more into his wrestling persona right. in a lot of ways to then see him give this softer performance that's kind of an expansion upon what he did in Blade Runner 2049. Right. Um, yeah. Was just so good. I a low key the scene that kind of keeps sticking with me is his ability to stay quiet in the shower after getting <laughs> shot in the arm. Right. Just how like low key terrifying that is. <laughs> That's a total Batista move. Yeah, like ah, uh, I'm still gonna hang out in the shower then tackle you. It just bounced off his like fucking rock arms. <laughs> uh, but the whole cast, like, I hope awesome. all of them. Yeah, like uh, Nikki uh, Amuka Bird, like was great. Awesome. Um, Abby Quinn was fantastic. She's the one I think everyone's kind of ragging on. Um. Uh- 
That's a shame. Go ahead. I don't think she should be ragged on. No, I, I, I think again, this is something. It's the M Night effect. <laughs> like he draws certain performances out of people that are, seem very um, calculated. You just use that word again. The word like it, like she's really over the top and kind of chaotic. And for her character, I think it takes total sense the way she's acting. Yeah, especially when you color when you color it with the M. Night aesthetic and how it is a little like B-movie-ish. Like it is a little bombastic. Like it is a little removed from reality. Like this is such an insane situation that people are not acting normal. Where I think all four of the horsemen are meant to be just so drastically different, acting drastically different than like the normal people of Eric, Andrew, and Wynn who are just having a normal like time at the cabin. And then all of a sudden like the world crashes in and reminds them like, hey, like this is reality. You have to deal with it. I just think the way all those characters are acting, like just makes sense. If I consider all those parameters. Well, yeah. And like Abby's character is kind of like a neurotic hipster girl, which I feel like I've known 30 (laughs) people exactly (laughs) like her. Like there's absolutely like, I get the character being maybe a little like, annoying but i think that's exactly who abby was supposed to be playing and yeah right people indicting like her performance it's crazy to me yeah agreed um thinking what else kind of jumped out to me did you see this uh i know talking about like a visual thing Mm -hmm. i'm sending you a, a text message right now okay with an image i noticed when Redman was on the ground, like the reflection in the glass, but I didn't catch like, I feel like I was seeing, I hope I'm not being tricked by Twitter, but <laughs> it's like Redman on the ground after he put the mask on uh-huh. when they're about to like jack him up in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see like a spirit, like a robed figure standing behind him. And I know that in the scene itself, I caught like the light in the mirror. Yeah, and I was saw kind that. of like trying to see it, but I didn't see the, like the spirit person. That was no, there. I did not see that. Um, and people are trying to say that it might be in other scenes throughout the movie. Uh, if there it's like is, the ghost in Tar. Yeah, if there is like that actual physical like ghostly god figure in the movie, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I feel like this gets into the whole Four Horsemen thing. I thought for sure, coming into this conversation, I was ready to duke it out with you, Chris. I thought for sure that you would be so annoyed by the Four Horsemen thing. (laughs) That, like, because, like, the way they define Four Horsemen, it's, like, malice, healing, uh, uh, what is it, guidance and nurturing? Yes, I had it written Um, down somewhere. That that's not what the four horsemen are <laughs> mm-hmm. that well i guess in the bible you know they represent like famine and war and just like terrible shit that happens to the world um and I, i'm just thinking about this more now with like this idea that spirits are kind of floating around in the ether of this movie um like what it represents but it, i guess in my mind when i when andrew starts listing the 
that he says like, oh, these are the four horsemen of the world. Like, this is what I saw in the vision. And like, they represent like these four things. I thought that was really, really beautiful. And I mean, obviously in the moment, I was completely moved by it, was crying my eyes out, like just loved the acting and just like the tone of it. But also like thinking about it afterwards, it really affected me in the way that the way someone can view the end of the world. Like it made me think of the Bible, period. Like it made me think of Revelations where the four horsemen are and how Revelations, it isn't like God sent down the book of Revelations. Revelations was written by some dude named John. Like we don't even know who John is. And that's really every book in the Bible. It's written by somebody and how they interpret events and how they see the world. And so you get these really big, fantastic stories that end up serving as ways to frame humanity and existence in our time here. And I just thought it was so incredible to hear him not view the four horsemen as these like dangerous creatures, but just simply facets of humanity that people can be malicious. But from that maliciousness, you can breed something else. You know, you can you can be nurturing, you can he help heal others, you can guide people to a better path. There are so many different other energies out there that can guide us down a, a better path. And that's really what Eric needed to see. Eric has just seen the malice. All he's seen is this guy who attacked him in the bar. And Andrew has to Andrew. help him. Or is Andrew Andrew's the one. Isn't Eric the one that um, had to go to therapy and everything? No, Andrew's the one that went to therapy. Oh, really? Yeah. Did I mess up on that? Uh-oh. <laughs> In the article? Maybe I did. Is that right? Yeah, Jonathan Groff played Eric, and he's uh, he's the one with the con concussion and who sacrifices himself. Andrew, Ben Aldridge is the one that's like had to go to therapy and is angry. Eric, yeah, you're right. All right. I don't know if I messed that up or I'm just misspeaking now, but okay. I'll go back and and fix this, but um okay, anyway, Eric. So Eric needs to help Andrew realize that like, hey man, there's there's more. Like there's more to people than like this negative image you're seeing and it's like it's helping him view this end of the world in quotes differently like again it's just a way to like reframe the end of the world and like if it actually is the end of the world like how it could just it doesn't necessarily have to be an end of the world around you but it could be end of the way you look at the world and it you can kind of have this sort of rebirth and come out ready to like attack this new world and be part of a place that you see more positivity and more beauty and in that world he's able to raise a daughter who's strong and able and becomes a mold of what he and Andrew would have built together. So I, I just, I loved all that. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> Did I say the names wrong again? <laughs> just at the end. <laughs> what him and Eric would have built together. See, see, you know the actors. I didn't really know the actors going in, so that would have helped me a lot. Yeah, because, I mean, not knowing the actors, they're just like dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, there is something really lovely and that's reinforced by that final interaction, which I thought was so beautiful between when and Andrew, yeah. 
when they're in the car because when that song comes on boogie shoes shoes. yeah uh because it had played earlier in the flashback we know that has meaning for the family and was it has this energy of like when things were good so andrew turns it off because it hurts when he first hears it because all he can think about is the loss so he turns it off and then Wen turns it back on because to her it's a reminder of the positive so she's so wanting to hear it because she wants to focus on the glass half full and the positive memory but then when she sees how upset andrew Mm. is she hesitates and turns it off and there's that choice right then and there that andrew has to make does he wallow in his grief and only focus on the negative and the pain's too much or does he make the choice for when for himself to focus on the positive and put the song back on and honor what the three of them had together and that doing all of that without saying anything was so powerful and wonderful to me it was such a, a lovely moment i do i did have an issue with them like outright naming not not saying like the malice uh guidance nurturing that Mm -hmm. aspect but just like being like we're the four horsemen (laughs) (laughs) i like the idea of using the four horsemen and showing it but them like exclaiming it i was kind of like okay (laughs) (laughs) um right and then I did want, ideally to me, what I would have liked to have seen in the movie, because I think my biggest complaint was that at times it felt a little too much like a stage play, mm-hmm. um, would have been a stronger B-plot I, that wasn't just flashbacks, though I don't know what that stronger B-plot would have been. Uh, that would have made sense and not just been completely like disconnected from everything that's going on or forced Mm -hmm. to connect with what's going on. Um, It also would have been interesting to me if the movie had kept going a little bit um, and there would have been something else that the family had to confront or deal with. Uh, It got me thinking too, would there have been people with visions that were trying to stop the world from being saved and what that would have been like if there was a, a more antagonistic figure in there uh, or another antagonistic group or even what the movie would have been like if the first 30 minutes was just focused on the four horsemen. Yeah. All that stuff though, like in my mind, if the movie if anything you're going to add to the movie takes away from the central struggle and the ideology and the ultimate point and statement the movie's making, like I'm just not interested and all that extra stuff. Like to me, that just seems like extra, like that doesn't necessarily advance the point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see like, that's just more like, that's just a movie doing more and doing more of its story. But like, I don't need a movie to do more. I just need to do what it does really well. Yes and no. Like, I guess it's theoretical. Like there could be a way to do it. That's like adds on to the conversation. There's also a way to do it. That's completely like excessive. Yeah. And takes away. 
yeah there was part of me that was thinking like what happens if they lead into the spirit aspect and had like <laughs> had a a final confrontation where like ghost eric shows up and like helps them <laughs> yeah which like that would be probably doing too much that's excessive and takes away from what was there but um it honestly would have been like fascinating to me if we saw more of the four horsemen at the beginning Mm -hmm. and because i feel like not showing them lends into the maybe they're lying aspect of it but if most people are believing what they're saying from the beginning then starting with like seeing abby and her child or seeing leonard teaching and like the start of the visions and them like arriving at this place i feel like could have been powerful but does it tie into the main point it could have been but again to me the tension is with the characters like i m night again backs himself into a corner by doing this by having the twist by like what is going to happen having that what's going to happen energy but like i'm just in it with the characters like the characters are conflicted about what's going on and there's tension with them and believing these people are not like that's all i really care about i don't need like extra with the four horsemen i i think i'm just on a kick in general of like i want movies to do less yeah. <laughs> like we're on opposite ends here like i yeah i anytime a movie is over two hours my i just kind of have to sign go like there's no way this movie needs to be two hours like i just know it going in like i, I think it's rare for a movie to have to be over 100 minutes and to be able to like pack as much as many ideas and as much psychology, like as much as examination of humanity, like the way this movie did at a hundred minutes, like you could add more, you could have a more flamboyant story. There could be more narrative threads. There could be more characters, but I just don't see how in this movie it helps at all. And like, that's just kind of how I always feel when a movie starts to become bloated and add more, like, I feel like it, it rarely works. Like it's really tough to pull off a movie that's longer and has that much going on. I don't feel that way, but I get I mean, why I you feel, feel that, that way. way. <laughs> if I see a movie like knock at the cabin and then like watch a movie that's two hours and 20 minutes and doesn't have nearly the impact. Uh, did you like Jurassic world dominion at its length? <laughs> I did. Uh, well then, <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not sitting here saying that movies can't do it. I'm just saying it's, it's very difficult and very rare that a movie does do it. That is a case where I thought a movie did it. Yeah, I would say that it's oh happens more often and that Jurassic World Dominion did not do it. But yeah, sure. <laughs> um I just finished it the other day and I'm looking forward to our ranking episode. Absolutely. But um like I just think in terms of extending it more to especially since Abby had a kid, especially since uh Leonard was a a school teacher like showing their relationships which can be i guess more the literary approach in me rather than the the film approach like we get the expressions of their relationship and what they're feeling through some of the dialogue exchanges so those ideas are there it's just i tend to like to see those things see to me the movie is about i mean ultimately the movie's about andrew andrew's the one right 
uh, yeah. <laughs> who attended therapy and everything. Yeah, like, it is it is switched in the article too. Yeah, I know. I got to fix it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's an easy fix. I just control F and then swap them all out. Um, but see, I just really view the movie through his and his family's lens and like how they're reacting to these people that have come into their lives. Like certainly those little elements that we learned about the four horsemen, like it colors them and gives them character and life and everything. But to extend the movie out and then make it about them, like I don't see the, how that helps this movie and what it's going for. Like to me, it's about somebody who suffered a, a traumatic experience who feels alone in the world, who is overwhelmed by the uncertainty of the world for people in his situation, for a same-sex couple that has a daughter. Like, how do you exist in this kind of world? Like, to me, that's what the movie's about. And extending into other people's lives and giving us more information about them does not enhance that to me. It doesn't enhance the portion of the movie that really deeply affected me emotionally. I, I get that. And... I do think that Andrew becomes, especially by the end, like the focus of things and like his trauma and relationship to it becomes a focus. But so much of the early portion of the movie isn't focused on Andrew, uh, especially you open with a long conversation between Wen and Leonard. Um, there's an emphasis on the family before it kind of like, eventually hones in on Andrew and Andrew's trauma to where I feel like a lot of the movie already is not like Andrew focused and has the opportunity to kind of get into the trauma that others have felt, why they're willing to make these sacrifices and who they're making these sacrifices for and that whole like concept which still feels like very vital and important the fact that they felt so committed to this and were willing to like give their lives that eric's willing to give his life and what that means Hmm. yeah i feel like they're i don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying but i feel like maybe there's just a different way of looking at it like there are two paths here a yeah, the beginning of the movie ostensibly is not about Andrew. Like we're watching this conversation between Leonard and Wynn, but Wynn's his daughter. Like they're she's talking about her dads and she's really kind of describing her place in the world that is a result of the world they've built for her. So like I definitely think it, it pertains to him and just kind of naturally blends into his story. Um, and then the second path is like, I see what you're saying about the other, the four horsemen and like how if we learned more about them, we made them more vital characters that that could add to the intensity and the movie could be about more than just Andrew. Um, But again, I like that it's so focused (laughs) on a single thing and like these people coming into his life and coming into this family's life are just meant to be a representation of them dealing with reality. And I don't think we need more than we get about that. Like, I still feel like they're vital characters. Like, you could have a flashback about uh, this woman's kid, and we could see their relationship, and we could build the drama of, like, oh, she's sacrificing herself and, like, losing her entire life. Like, Leonard's giving up this basketball team. Like, look at all these things these people are giving up. We, we could delve into their lives and see them interact in those environments more, and maybe that would build the drama. 
But what we get from them for me is totally enough. Like the acting when Batista pulls out the card, pulls out the picture of the basketball team. Um, What's her name? The, the woman with the kid. Adrian. Adrian, the way she's talking about her kid, like, I don't need more than that. Like, it's just so well done. And I, and I feel it um, just stylistically, aesthetically, like it's such a part of the movie that a flashback scene, a cutaway scene, like having to actually show it to me, like, like you could do that. But for me, it just isn't necessary. Please don't accuse me of suggesting a flashback. Not doing that. I'm <laughs> well, suggesting we did get flashbacks. I know. I don't like, I often don't like the use of flashback. I <laughs> much prefer chronological order. Well, what about so, Knock at the Cabin? Uh, Knock at the Cabin, I didn't like the use of flashback and think it should have been in chronological order. Oh, really? Yeah, or just not had the flashbacks Ooh, at all. I definitely don't. Mm-hmm. That's weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, like how I, would we get all the information? How would we understand all that? I don't think it. I mean, just like what you're saying through the through the performance, through the dialogue, through even just having those scenes at the very beginning of the movie rather than starting where we started. I tend to prefer <sighs> that over. Like, I don't think the use of flashback was uh, detrimental or like a negative in this case. Um, mm-hmm. Just when I'm suggesting like delving more into the four horsemen, it'd be like 20 minutes at the beginning of the movie in like real time, like the start of their visions, like that kind of thing, rather than or their journey uh, to the cabin. But the use of flashbacks in this did it upset me too much, but I tend to disagree with their use. I mean, we could get into all that, but I don't know how interesting that would be. I, I think <laughs> for the M. Night formula, for the way he constructs his movies, like, it's just part of the playfulness of them, like, to kind of, like, skirt around and, like, you don't know everything about a person, then you learn a little bit more. Like, t- to me, the use of flashback in this totally works because it's about the people we're most invested in and, like, need to know the most about to understand the ultimate point of the movie. Um, plus like to imagine this movie not starting the way it did just so we could have some expository material at the beginning. Like that just goes against like the style of the movie (laughs) and the watchability entertainment of it. So like, I just don't see how that would be a good choice at all. I mean, I don't know if you could say that until you see it done or how it would be done, but But I saw the movie I saw like to have that be the opening, like that as an opening, isn't the same as a scene like, six scenes it no it's definitely would be a much different energy but i don't know if it would make the movie less successful i think so for sure i'm just gonna have to re-edit the movie and show it to you (laughs) and i will spit on it (laughs) how dare you spit on my tv how dare you um i don't know is there anything else in the movie itself that jumped out to you um no i i mean i we could sit here and like talk about people's reaction to it but i feel like anytime anybody reacts to m night Shyamalan movies it's this very exaggerated reaction like it's 
people are just so annoyed that like M. Night gets to do what he does, where I'm just sitting here just like giddy that someone like M. Night Shyamalan exists, that he loves the B-movie formula, you know, that he does, he's a little extravagant and flamboyant with everything. Like, I don't know. I just really love the experience all around. It's, I've only been to a, the movie theater a few times now um, in 2023. It's the first time I've gone to the movies in a long time. And this was a moment where I was like, this is why I go to the movie theater. Like, this is why I need to show up. The, the way, the, the the sounds of the movie, the camera work, uh, the score, like there was never a dull moment. The way this movie completely enraptured me was just blew my mind. That's great. Yeah. I like, it's definitely, it's the first movie of 2023 that I gave like positive, <laughs> mm-hmm. like a positive ranking to. Um. I was happy that it was like in the what I consider the the higher end of M Night's filmography. For sure, uh, it's surprising to me that it is like I haven't seen a lot of reactions. I was actually pretty surprised that it's a kind of movie. Usually, when we write about, we see like a decent pop, and even on like the website, it has a getting yeah as much engagement as I would have expected. And I haven't seen that much social media discussion in the way that I would have expected. Right. I've only seen, I think it's just like reviews on Letterboxd. And I've mostly just looked at my friends' reviews because venturing out into the real world and like all these other people who write reviews, like it just like drives me nuts. Um, But I think the general, the general reaction I'm seeing from people is that Either A, they think it's stupid, and I've seen a lot of people say it's boring, which like kind of blows my mind <laughs> that a 100-minute movie that is nonstop and like kind of moves the way it does could be boring, um, but also that like it just doesn't do enough, that the movie isn't any more than what you see in the trailer, and that it's not worth watching 100 minutes of something you could just see in a trailer, which to me is ridiculous, but I, I guess it, I feel like there's a... It's, you know, it's just that culture of like they want people want more from movies. I almost wonder if like TV has done this to movies where like you can pack so many narratives and characters into a TV show that like we're expecting more from movies and we're a little caught off guard what a movie is as simple as this. It does feel like that's a, a conversation that's going to become more and more relevant uh, in the sense that movies used to be bigger than TV. And you used to be able to tell like a larger story in movies than you could on right. TV, which is why something like The Godfather was so incredible to people. Or Boogie Nights. Um, what's that other movie that I'm trying to think of and blanking on? Uh, you just had like these big like stories that you would get in film, and since TV has started to pick up the torch with that in a way, especially as we're starting to get more limited series that are doing that, or just like series that aren't trying to live for as long as possible, but tell like their story in full. Like I'm thinking how the last of us Mm -hmm. probably will just be two seasons and that's it. Um, Rather than trying to be like, an eight season show. Mm -hmm. I still think these TV shows start to chase their own tails a little bit as they have really strong, like first seasons 
and then have to settle into okay how do we just like keep the story going which gets a little frustrating um which is where i'm kind of at with some shows like succession Mm -hmm. um or yellowstone even though they just said yellowstone's ending because kevin costner doesn't want to film for more than 50 days in a year um (laughs) like this movie isn't doing as much as some of these prestige television shows at this point and i can see people feeling in some way that's small but that's also something that now film gets to do is tell these very like poignant like efficient stories that have beginning middle and end and aren't overstaying their welcome but don't you think movies are trying to go to tv route like in my mind it's rare that a movie's as succinct as this uh no i I, like i haven't had that impression that movies have been trying to go the tv route i feel like movies have been trying to they're trying to force franchises more but i guess I when think... i say go to tv route i don't mean like start a franchise or anything i just mean like trying to pack more narrative like more ideas and more characters into a movie i think that's kind of i mean in my relationship with a lot of movies from like 90s 2000s 2010 like in the time that i've been alive i feel like that's always something that movies have done but i also don't watch as many like older movies as you yeah i guess maybe that's what i'm ultimately getting at is like movies really did used to be that simple like it was crazy for a movie to be over two hours now like it's crazy for a movie to be under two hours it it, i i just think there's there's a pressure from hollywood and a general movie culture that expects you to do more like you can't do something as simple as this there need to be there need to be more there needs to be more ideas like there needs to be something bigger we can latch on to i think it's i don't know if that's like tv influence like i just think back to like apocalypse now is this big bombastic thing gangs of new york gladiator like i think we've always had kind of these large epic multi like faceted what more can we throw in transform like every michael bay movie uh, to me feels that way which you might disagree with but it's it's how it feels uh to me but i like you have you still have things like uncut gems which i don't think you liked uncut gems i like uncut gems yeah okay you did like uncut gems but like uncut gems was like a pretty efficient yeah it was but that's the safety brothers like that's what they do like I, I think they're an anomaly. What like aren't a lot of the A twenty four movies like a little quicker? That's A twenty four. I feel like is the territory I would get into. They're like maybe if you're purely talking runtime, maybe and that's maybe the path I guided us down. Like maybe you're right, but if I think about something like Hereditary, like I think that movie's trying to do more, like trying to create a bigger mythology. Like I feel like there's kind of that's more of what I'm trying to get at. Okay, I like. I mean, I like that in Hereditary. I thought that was refreshing sure. for that that's, movie. I, I, I'm not saying a movie can't do it well. I just mean that's become overwhelmingly what movies are. Like, you can't just have like the simple story we're looking at. Like, it needs to branch out into this and branch out to that and become this big old thing. Like, for it to be a movie. Hmm. 
Yeah. I think movies were kind of getting there in general. Yeah. So it, it may not be a TV influence. It's just the general progression of, of time has done this to, to movies and everything. Yeah. I think similar thing happened in literature and maybe even in like music with albums right now. There's like such a tension with people like going bigger and artsier versus mm-hmm. going like small and efficient. Right. Mm. yeah okay uh yeah so i mean i feel like cabin knock at the cabin will be something like with most of m night's filmography that has that cult following that people do like say like hey you should catch this or have you seen this i'll do that cult. yeah like i feel like split kind of had that word of mouth aspect to it i don't think knock at the cabin will have kind of the life that split had, but Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like knock at the cabin will be one of those underrated, like cult movies that makes a lot of like hidden gems of the like 2020s kind of thing. Yeah. I hope so. I'm going to track that. (laughs) You can be the list originator. I will spearhead it. Uh, Do we want to talk about, the book it's based on at all or do we just want to end the episode Uh, no i would hate to spoil the book yeah it's uh it is based on a book it's just it seems like there are large differences yeah uh between what happened in the book and what happened in the movie i think we both kind of feel tentatively (laughs) having not read the book that we like the changes that m night made I say just watch the movie i feel like i almost feel that way every time there's a movie based on a book just like just watch the movie not with uh, white noise. <laughs> uh, white noise is the exception, sure. And Cosmopolis. <laughs> but you like Cosmopolis. I do like Cosmopolis, but the book is so much better. Uh, okay. What what do we got to do here at the end? Uh, I guess we have a catchy catchphrase that's like a great end. <laughs> well, we want to tell people to visit our website, right? Filmcolossus.com. Oh, yeah where you can get movie guides on all these movies that you want to know more about the title explanation thematic explanation ending motifs key shots and then of course questions and answers yeah um and if you want to support us uh we have a patreon page patreon.com slash film colossus you can listen to this podcast without ads uh for three bucks a month um, we are offering any or more rewards at the moment, but we will soon. They're probably going to incorporate some of the writing on the site as well as like some podcast perks. So you can be on the lookout for that. Yep. And then we'll be back in the next episode to talk about our movie rankings over the last two weeks, including Jurassic, Jurassic World Dominion. Yes, including <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion, which and... might just end up taking up the whole episode. Yeah, it'll be a, a showdown between a Gigantosaurus and a Tyrannosaurus. I, I don't know what I'm going to say more than, like, I like this big, dumb movie. <laughs> I'll just be like, why, Travis? Why? Explain Actually, yourself. Yeah, it'll probably be a pretty short discussion. <sighs> okay. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Got a big question to ask. Doctora Ramos, a la sala de espera. Hay un problema que afecta a muchos niños que no puedo resolver sola. 
Se llama estrés tóxico. Es la manera en que el cuerpo de los niños responde a experiencias difíciles, desde palabras bruscas hasta una pérdida dolorosa. Esto hace que sea más difícil combatir infecciones y enfermedades. También aumenta el riesgo de problemas de salud a largo plazo. Pero hay pasos que los padres pueden tomar para ayudar. Aprende cuatro cosas que puedes hacer para superar el estrés tóxico en firstbycalifornia.com.